Hello, my name is John Maidendorp. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Christian Reformed Church in Kitchener, Ontario, and it's my privilege to lead you in this service of the Word today. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, we have suspended our regular worship services until further notice, and we are following the advice of health professionals and the guidelines of the government and encouraging everyone to stay home as much as possible to stop the, the spread of this deadly disease. Households can find resources on worshiping together on our church website, ccrc.on.ca. We know that this is not easy. We all want to be together again. And so we pray with our sisters and brothers in Christ the world over that this disease will quickly come to an end so that we may worship as God's assembled people once again. In the meantime, though, we praise God that he is pleased, not only when we fill pews with our bodies and sanctuaries with our voices, but when we worship in spirit and in truth. And so we encourage all of our members to worship together with their households, lifting up your voices to praise and pray to our great God and King, knowing that he is faithful and he will deliver us. Since Easter, we have been walking through the book of Psalms, looking at the imagery and poetry that these songs and prayers give us words and stories for making sense of the strange time that we find ourselves in. Today's psalm is Psalm 68, and you might find it a bit strange. So let me plant something in your mind that might help you imaginatively follow along with this obscure text. This past Thursday was the Feast of the Ascension, the day 40 days after Easter, when Christians all over the world remember and celebrate the day that the resurrected Jesus ascended into heaven to take up his throne at the right hand of the Father. Sometimes we forget or gloss over the reality that Jesus remained on the earth for 40 days after he was raised from the dead, teaching and equipping his followers for the ministry that they would take up after Pentecost. We actually vetoed a number of songs for this Sunday that just skip over the ascension in the way that they tell the story of the gospel. But this is an important event in the history of Christianity and an important day in the rhythms of God's people in worship. It's still observed in many historic Christian traditions and for generations was set aside as a day of worship in our own Reformed tradition. So I want you to hold on to that thought, to imagine the story, the story of Jesus ascending into heaven as we read this psalm, Psalm 68. And as we prepare to hear God's word, let's come before him in a word of prayer. O Lord our God, in this strange time when we cannot be together, when we long to see each other's faces and feel the warmth and comfort of each other's presence, it seems both strange and strangely appropriate for us to reflect on Jesus' ascension into heaven. Because as much as we long to see and hear each other, to feel each other's presence, we long to see and hear you even more. 
We thank you that just because we cannot gather in the church sanctuary doesn't mean that we cannot enter into your presence. For you are the God who comes to us, making yourself known to us in these inspired words of Scripture, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, by the common grace of life that never ceases to overwhelm and amaze us. O Lord, as we read your holy word today, send your Holy Spirit upon us to overwhelm and amaze us once again. Open our eyes, our ears, our minds, and our hearts to all that it is that you would have us see and hear and know and believe. Transform us more and more, we pray, into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, the Word of God made flesh. Amen. Psalm 68, beginning at verse 1. The psalmist writes, May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke. As wax melts before the fire, may the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling place. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. When you, God, went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the one of Israel. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, God, you provided for the poor. The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. Kings and armies flee in haste. The women at home divide the plunder. Even while you sleep among the sheep pens, the wings of my dove are sheathed with silver, its feathers with shining gold. When the Almighty scattered the kings in the land, it was like snow fallen on Mount Zalman. Mount Bashan, majestic mountain, Mount Bashan, rugged mountain, why gaze in envy, you rugged mountain, to the mountain where God chooses to reign, where the Lord himself will dwell forever? The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Surely God will crush the heads of his enemies, the hairy crowns of those who go on in their sins. The Lord says, I will bring them from Bashan. I will bring them from the depths of the sea, that your feet may wade in the blood of your foes while the tongues of your dogs have their share. 
Your procession God has come into view, the procession of my God and King into the sanctuary. In front are the singers, after them the musicians, with them are the young women playing the timbrels. Praise God in the great congregation, praise the Lord in the assembly of Israel. There is the little tribe of Benjamin leading them, there the great throng of Judah's princes, and there the princes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Summon your power, God. Show us your strength, our God, as you have done before. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings will bring you gifts. Rebuke the beasts among the reeds, the herds of the bulls among the calves of the nations. Humbled, may the beast bring bars of silver. Scatter the nations who delight in war. Envoys will come from Egypt. Cush will submit herself to God. Sing to God, you kingdoms of the earth. Sing praise to the Lord, to him who rides across the highest heavens, the ancient heavens, who thunders with mighty voice, proclaim the power of God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the heavens. You, God, are awesome in your sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and strength to his people. Praise be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, there are some things that are just easier for us to deal with if we pretend they simply don't exist. This is true in many areas of life, from relationships to politics to health to religion. A 2014 study by researchers at Duke University called this phenomenon motivated disbelief when we are motivated to just pretend that something isn't true or doesn't exist. Their research looked at people with firmly held political beliefs and tested how people reacted when presented with a solution to a problem that their own ideology had trouble solving. And what they found was that people were more likely to deny the problem than to rethink the solution, to rethink their ideology. For example, when free market advocates were asked whether they thought that government restrictions on carbon emissions could slow climate change, their response was most often to simply deny that climate change was happening. On the other end, on the other hand, when gun control advocates were asked whether having armed police officers patrol neighborhoods helped to prevent violent crimes, their response was most often to deny that violent crime was a problem at all. When a solution to a problem didn't fit their ideals, people didn't try to find a different solution that did fit in their ideals. They just pretended that the problem didn't exist. And I think that we do this sometimes with the Bible, with the church, with our faith. We pretend that some things just don't exist. Like the violent military imagery used to describe God in this psalm. 
we often just avoid these kinds of texts. We don't read them. We don't talk about them. We don't preach on them. And when they do pop up, we're caught off guard. That's in the Bible, we think to ourselves, in disbelief. And there's good reason why Christians tend to avoid these kinds of violent and military depictions of God. Because the truth of the matter, another thing that we like to pretend never happened, is that Christians throughout history have used these texts of conquest and victory and corporal punishment to justify horrible, brutal violence of our own. The Crusades, of course, is the go-to example, probably because it's a thousand years removed and we can distance ourselves from it. But Christians have twisted the words of Scripture to justify such horrors as slavery, war, torture, executions, and genocide, all in the name of God, even to this day. Usually these kinds of psalms that describe God as a conquering king or a victorious general start and end with kind of more generic praise and thanksgiving language. And so it's easier for us to just read the beginning and the end and focus on the nicer, gentler sentiments of Scripture. But Psalm 68 goes at it right off the bat. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. We don't get a chance to cut anything out of this psalm. It is unrelenting from beginning to end. But enter into the imagery of the world of this psalm with me for a moment. The psalmist provokes us with this image of the great and mighty God who rides on the clouds, his chariot thundering across the sky, so powerful that the heavens pour down streams of water and the mountains leap like startled rabbits. He scatters his enemies. He terrifies his foes. And verse 5, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. This psalm goes straight to the tender heart of Almighty God for the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed. As the pastor and scholar Carolyn Townsend Gilks puts it, Psalm 68 connects a personal God who cares about the, individual circum the individual's circumstances with a powerful, liberating God who has the power to change those circumstances. Or as the biblical scholar Beth Tanner says, Psalm 68 teaches us that the great warrior God cares for those who struggle in a system where they have no voice. The orphan, the widow, the foreigner, the poor. The psalmist invites us 
as readers or as hearers of this song to tag along. The psalmist invites us to tag along on the journey that this great and mighty God, the rider on the clouds, takes as he rides out to lead a people through the wilderness, a people who will become his people. He causes the skies to rain down in the desert, transforming it into a beautiful inheritance where the poor know no want. Women in a mighty throng announce his coming to the kings of the world, proclaiming his word, singing of the great things the mighty one has done, scattering the enemies of his people, creating a dwelling place for himself on the earth, ascending to the heights with captives in his train to take up his throne, bearing the burdens of his people, saving them even from death bringing them up from the heart of the earth, from the depths of the sea, to join the triumphant victory parade as it marches into the city of God, where all nations bring tribute and sing the praise of the Lord. This might seem like a strange psalm to bring us to the ascension of Jesus Christ, but I think that these two parts of scripture have more in common than we might realize. Because the ascension of Jesus is another one of those things that we sometimes just pretend didn't happen. Especially in this time of social isolation, of self-imposed quarantine, when we long to see each other so much that it hurts, it seems strange to reflect on the idea that Jesus chose to leave us. You can almost hear the longing, the pain in the disciples' voice as they ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I had a friend in seminary who did a research project studying the theme of the ascension and songs for Christian worship, and she wasn't surprised to find that many songs, both ancient and more recent, simply skip right from the resurrection to the outpouring of the Spirit, straight from Easter to Pentecost. The biblical scholar N.T. Wright says that most contemporary Christians seem to imagine Easter, Ascension, and Pentecost all mashed up together into a sort of spiritualized Jesus mulligan stew, that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and then his spirit was raised up from the dead, and somehow now he's present with everybody everywhere in our hearts. Maybe I don't need to tell you how problematic that is, but I will anyway. Because you see, the ascension of Jesus into heaven is a physical ascension of his physical body. And the reason that is important is because Christ's physical human body lives now in the presence of God the Father, which means that we too, in our physical human bodies, can live together in the presence of God, the Holy One. The story of Scripture isn't about how our souls can go to heaven when we die. It is about how God is preparing the whole creation to be renewed and restored so that God can dwell among his people again 
so that God can dwell among us in our physical, resurrected, new creation bodies. Because that's another thing that's all too easy for us to pretend doesn't matter, isn't it? Physical bodies. Maybe it's easier for us to believe that salvation is really only about our souls. Because then we don't have to think about physical bodies. Especially the kinds of physical bodies that Psalm 68 tells us the rider of the clouds fights for. The physical bodies that this pandemic has exposed as the human cost of our global economic system. The physical bodies of cooks, cashiers, delivery drivers, and personal support workers whose essential services can't earn them a living wage. The physical bodies of those who make our food and clothes, laboring in fields and factories under conditions that we have long known were inhumane. The physical bodies of those who languish in old age homes that we have long known were understaffed and under-resourced. The physical bodies of those in our own country who live on reservations, who we have long known have no direct access to clean water. The physical bodies of refugees displaced by war and violence packed together in camps that we have long known were unlivable long-term conditions. We call these people marginalized because normally they exist on the margin of our vision, so far from the center of our attention that it is all too easy in normal times for us to forget that they are there. But sometimes something comes along that opens our eyes in a new way to see reality unveiled for what it is in the truest sense of revelation, to reveal the things to which the powers of this world have made us blind and numb. Something like Psalm 68, to shake up our sense of who God is. Something like the ascension to make us dig deeper into what Christ truly means when he promises to be with us always. Something like a global pandemic to strip away the illusion that we live in a just and prosperous society. The psalmist tells us that the Lord of heaven cares for these physical bodies on the margin, these beloved children of his whose bodies are bruised and wounded by earthly structures of sin and injustice, 
When Jesus ascends into heaven, he isn't abandoning his people. He isn't giving up the fight. He isn't tapping out, asking his disciples to take it from here. He isn't even passing the the torch. His followers having satisfactorily passed their initiatory training, Jesus ascends into heaven for a purpose. And that purpose, as the Heidelberg Catechism puts it, is to take his rightful place as head of the church and ruler of all. From the Father's right hand, our Lord pours forth his Holy Spirit, pouring out heavenly gifts on his people. And by his almighty power, he defends us in our walk on this earth and keeps us safe from all our enemies until he comes again. The Apostle Paul points to the powerful reality of Christ's ascension and what it means for us today as the centerpiece of his teaching to the church in Ephesus about the unity and power of the church in Christ by quoting from this very psalm. In Ephesians 4, the apostle writes, To each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the highest heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Jesus ascends to heaven for purpose. In taking up his rightful place as ruler of all, he pours out his gifts on the church and protects us from our enemies. Jesus isn't leaving the fight for justice and peace in this world. He's taking the fight to a higher level. The king of heaven came down to earth and was lifted up again. I'm reading through the autobiography of Nelson Mandela, the South African revolutionary and anti-apartheid activist who eventually became the president of South Africa after apartheid was abolished. And I'm up to the part where he's being held as a political prisoner, a chapter of his life that will last for about 30 years. And as Mandela reflects on his time in prison, sometimes in hard manual labor, sometimes starving, sometimes in absolute isolation, he writes about how difficult it is to stay true to one's principles, to fight the good fight in a system designed to break your spirit. He writes about how difficult it is to keep up the fight 
what it seems like your actions don't make any difference at all in the grand scheme of things. And so to keep himself and his colleagues motivated while they were in prison, he started to imagine his situation in a different way. Rather than thinking about how much more effective he would be for the cause of ending racism and apartheid as a free man, Mandela started focusing on the cause in, this, in his own sphere, using what influence he had in his own situation. He filed complaints and grievances about the way that black prisoners were treated. He appealed to international watchdog organizations to improve prison conditions in South Africa. He made applications for changes to the rules to allow prisoners access to study materials, reading materials, the library system, desks, glasses, pens, protein, visitors. The fight is never over. And no matter what the situation, you are not out of the fight unless you choose to leave it. And so Mandela says, do what you can, where you are, with what you have. I think there's great wisdom here for us today. It can be all too easy for us, especially in this time of upheaval, to think that there's not much that we can do until things are back to normal. Put the problems on hold and pretend that they don't exist. Once we meet together again, then my faith will be strengthened. Once I sing in front of church, my spirit will be uplifted. Once we pay off our mortgage, then we'll be able to give to missions. If only, if only, if only. But our Lord invites us to imagine a better world, even now, where we are, with what we have. Thanking him for the bountiful blessings he has poured out on us, he calls us to live courageously, trusting in the promises he has made. Our Lord gives us the gifts that we need to serve him, even in these strange and unprecedented times. The psalmist invites each and every one of us to imagine and live into the world of justice that the Lord of the ancient heavens fights to build, the kingdom of peace that our ascended king is preparing for us, even now. We step forward with assurance and hope in the power and strength of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Please pray with me. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who rides on the clouds, ascended on high, ruling over kings and nations and powers and principalities from the right hand of the Father. You are head of the church and Lord 
overall. In this time of uncertainty and upheaval, may we offer our lives to you, knowing that you are our good and faithful God, and that all God's promises are yes in you. In your name we pray.